Katie Hunt, we're on. Oh my I, God, we're live. I always feel like serendipity when I hit that little button and it actually works. <laughs> Do you think that it might not happen? It's not that, it's that. Just think about how 10 years ago, this is just not even on the radar, maybe 12 years ago, that every single human would be able to publish their or produce their own TV show from their home office in New Jersey. And I here we are. It definitely uh, changes everything, the amount of technology we have at our fingertips. <laughs> the amount of Zoom calls I'm on at the moment is insane. You apparently are at the Oval Office because of the backdrop. Right? Now, I think this is really funny. My team actually sent me an American flag because it does look like I'm at the Oval Office. But in fact, I'm at my dad's desk in Rhode Island. Uh, and it's just it just happens to be a very you know powerful looking desk. It does look very powerful. Well, let me give you an introduction. Hello, everybody. So excited you can join us for another edition of uh, the Manifestor Mindset, which is something I just made up, including a made up word. Uh, but people seem to like it and I'm enjoying myself. Um, and I love bringing you different guests that uh, can deal with and talk about COVID from every different angle. And just people that I've met along the way in my journey, like Katie Hunt, that are special and magical and have a little bit of insight that hopefully is unique and that you haven't heard elsewhere. So let me introduce Katie. Um, I met Katie actually as part of this course that I teach with Professor Len Schlesinger at Harvard Business School called Moving Beyond DTC or Direct to Consumer. And Katie is like one of the top, I'd say, 10 experts, maybe even five experts in the country on direct to consumer businesses, not just which ones are the coolest and which ones are the, are the ones that are thriving and that are kind of below the radar, but also on what it takes to be a successful DTC at this very moment in time, which is very different than it was 10 years ago. We'll, we'll get into that a little bit. But um, Katie's done many things. She was very early at Warby Parker. She graduated from Brown. She majored in theater, which is relevant for the discussion we're about to have in a minute. Um, she's got a magnetic personality and she is the co-founder of Showfields, which calls itself the most interesting store in the world. And that is not, not just hyperbole. I think there's actually a lot of truth to it because Showfields is uh, one of the most unique places I've ever been to. And for those of you out there who have never seen it, why don't we start off talking about what is Showfields, Katie? And who is Mrs. Showfields? <laughs> so Showfields, it is a platform that connects customers in a meaningful way uh, with brands and artists and communities. Uh, and so what that has meant in the past sort of 18 months when we opened our first location at 11 Bond Street in New York City is that uh, you know we were actually connecting customers with brands from all over the internet that they had never been able to touch and feel and experience before mixed with art and a slide from the third floor to the second floor uh, and an entire floor just for community and events. Uh, but what we were doing was reinventing retail. And we might call ourselves the most interesting store in the world. But what it really means is that we've created a business and a system that allows us to seamlessly, uh, you know, bring these brands and communities and artists into a physical space. And because of that, they make us interesting. Uh, you know, things have clearly changed a little bit. We were getting oh, yeah, ready. Let's, let's, so Showfields is the kind of thing you have to see rather than hear. But yeah. let's try to paint a picture. It's on Bond Street. It's a beautiful mm -hmm. brick building. It's five stories, right? Like just walk, uh, walk one, of, uh, one of us through it as if we had never seen it before. Sure. So the fun part about it is that every six months, it's a completely different store. Meaning that every six months we actually close for four days and open as an entirely new store. All new brands, all new art, all new experiences. 
but it's supposed to be an experience that's completely centered around the consumer. From the minute they walk in, from the fact that we developed our own scent, which is called Discovery, uh, to the fact that every corner they turn, they actually meet a new brand in a new way. Um, and then we have actually at times live performances, everything from Amazon Music opening a music venue on the third floor to there actually being a live theater, uh, you know, moment that happened throughout the entire second floor so that when you came down the slide you would land in the middle of a forest at night and there would be someone standing there and they would be like oh how'd you end up here i'm i'm looking for people to test this new product and you end up on a 20-minute immersive uh, sleep no more meets retail experience but in reality, it is a beautiful white box that has enabled all of these people from around the world to have a creative outlet in order to tell their brand stories, which I think is the really fascinating part. So, so taking back in time into the creation of Showfields, is was Showfields solving a problem? Is Showfields the next Macy's? Like, what was the what was the genesis of it? What's the the logic? Sure. So when I go back in time to when I was the low man on the totem pole as the third employee of Warby Parker, I saw how meaningful it was for us to open our first retail location. But I also saw how challenging it was, even as a well-funded, well-staffed team. We were signing this 15-year crazy lease, and it was our first retail location. We had no idea if we were even signing the right lease on the right street. I mean, clearly, we went to everyone in our network. We asked a million questions. And I feel like we ended up in such an amazing place with our Green Street location. And I mean, as everyone has seen, Warby now has over 120 locations. So retail has been an amazing movement within the company. Um, but it was challenging, right? And it was scary to take that leap and sign that lease. So when I met my co-founders for Showfields, I was so blown away by this idea that they had, that they were gonna lower the barriers of entry to retail and make it accessible for young brands. Because you know, one of the reasons when you go into a department store and you see the same brands and the same merchandise in every single one that you go to is because it's actually really hard to do retail well and to do it right. Uh, and Showfields just, obliterated those boundaries. You can literally onboard into one of our stores if you're invited in within six clicks online. Uh, everything from telling us what inventory you wanted to uploading your brand book so we can help design your space. It is so seamless and for me like that was the thing, right? Like retail wasn't going anywhere. Retail wasn't dead. It was still meaningful. And it was an incredible place to acquire customers. The LTV of that client is so amazing. But like you as a digital founder, you know, your head's down, you're, you're running your direct to consumer business. Maybe you don't have the ability in that exact moment to turn on retail, hire a whole new team, sign this giant lease and take that risk. So are you, so just in terms of the model, somebody comes to you, they're a DTC or digitally native brand. They exist virtually. They want to put their toe in the water for whatever reason, because I guess they took our course at Harvard. And <laughs> found that eventually you're going to end up at retail because, yeah. uh, as you said, just for those you know who don't know out there, there's a great study in uh, 2015 by MIT Sloan that looked at the impact, and they call the call the supercharging that yeah. when you have a physical touch point like Bonobos or Warby Parker, by having any kind of physical touch point in the real world, that your returns go down dramatically and mm -hmm. your customers are much more loyal. So the lifetime value of those customers is very valuable. So whether it's a pop-up or whatever kind of retail, that's kind of what you were tapping into, right? So what are the what's the difference between going to a show field in terms of the leasing structure and everything else and the data you get versus 
going to a mall and setting up a store? Sure. So I think there are actually a couple of different channels, right? So there's this idea that you can take a piece of property and you can lease it for a set amount of time. Um, usually that's a, a pretty extensive piece of time in the past, about a 15 year, 10 to 15 year lease to end up in a prime location. Um, and you're kind of signing your life away and saying, all right, I'm going to build a store here. Everything from how it's designed, how it's merchandised to how it's staffed. Um, and, and, then, and spending half a million dollars right on the build out too. Oh, at least. Yeah. Right. Uh, and then you have an entire portion of, of your business that you are now running that is a store. Um, and then you have to multiply that if that is, you know, going well. And so it's a whole other arm of your business. And then, you know, in the last five to seven years, real estate has responded a bit. And now there are some flexible leases. But again, it's a white box. You're walking in and you have to hire a design team. You have to do the build out. You have to staff it. You have to figure out your point of sale. You are now in charge of that space. Everything from insurance to, you know, do we have a bathroom on the first floor becomes part of your weekly meetings. Uh, and that is also a big and very expensive undertaking. So the amazing thing that my co-founders Tal and Amir did was that they realized that in a community-based environment, uh, they could actually share those costs and share, you know, the work that goes into it across multiple brands create a much more impactful experience. So instead of me having, let's say, uh, a widgets company and now having a space that I put half a million dollars into building out, I now have to drive traffic to that widget company that's very expensive. By having 40 brands in one space, the cacophony of all of those voices talking to the same consumer is so much more powerful than one brand standing on their own and trying to say, hey, I'm over here. So it's not just bringing down the costs because you're sharing everything, everything from a universal design team that we have on our team that actually creates these amazing, immersive, crazy, over the top spaces to you know having everything taken care of to the staffing to actually like, we do over 150 events in the store every year. And what you just described, Bloomingdale's? What's the difference <laughs> between Bloomingdale's having an aggregation of all these brands and a show fields? Uh, so if you think about what's important to you as a direct-to-consumer founder, and I'm sure you find this too because you get pitched by direct-to-consumer founders all the time, um, mm -hmm. is that they're used to a owning of the, all of their margin, right? They own the, the way their voice is talked about, the interaction with the consumer. They own 100% of the, the margin on the other end of that. The idea that they would walk into a Bloomingdale's and suddenly go into a wholesale model, they're not A, set up to do that, and B, they lose control of what they care about most, which is their story. In Showfields, we're a landlord, you know, we're a landlord with all the best assets and foot traffic. And so mm -hmm. what it does is it allows someone to come in, own 100% of their sales. They're paying a membership fee to be part of Showfields and to cover, you know, the staffing and the insurance, but it's one payment per month that's much more affordable. Um, and then at the other end, they can completely understand that they put in X amount uh, into Showfields and they got 
you know, why a mountain sails out. Uh, and we actually serve everything to them in a beautiful digital dashboard that looks very similar to kind of a Google Analytics dashboard so they can understand it. Um, but it allows them to really understand if retail is working or not working versus like, sure, you can, you know, buy a hundred of my widgets. And if you decide to discount them past what I'm selling on my own website, I can't do anything about that. And that doesn't feel very good for a direct to consumer founder. Do you know, I used to skew your numbers all the time, right? Pre-COVID, I would go in, I'd buy CBD there, the really expensive ones or whatever, because they had, I forgot the name of that brand, but it's like- Mills. It's a great, great direct-to-consumer brand, very uh, necessary in COVID. You didn't know that I was distorting all those analytics, your fancy little dashboard that you had, because I would go back there and that's where I would buy it, because it's the only thing that helps me sleep, you know? It's a great brand. So let's talk. So pre-COVID, Fields, mm -hmm. Neighborhood Goods is a competitor. There's a couple yeah. other ones, right? You're reimagining retail. Everything is going swimmingly. Yeah. Um, and you're perfectly on trend. These DTC brands are embracing you. They're doing great. You opened up a new one in Miami and sky's the limit. And then a pandemic out of can contagion strikes and shuts down planet Earth. And now <laughs> you're a business owner, right? Like, and I remember talking to you within the first few days, like we were strategizing. What do you do? How do you pivot? You know, walk us through your journey as a, as a founder. So I've never been more grateful for my team than in the last six weeks. I really think that as a small business owner, I'm sure you guys are all feeling that forever who is on here as a founder, your family, you've built something so important and you've put so much blood, sweat and tears into it and you did it together. And so for me, uh, we were just about to launch uh, our next curation. And again, we do a curation once every six months. We close for four days, open as an entirely new store. This takes months of planning. Imagine turning over four stories of retail and art into an entirely new experience. Hundreds of people plan for this. And it's an amazing moment in our business to be able to do it. And right before we turn over for our 40 new brands, all these signed contracts, we have to close. And we make the decision to close before New York asks us to, because we really believe that we are part of this community that is New York City, and we are beholden to that community to take care of them. This is retail reimagined for the consumer. We call ourselves C-commerce or consumer commerce. It is not about you know the bottom line and profit. At the end of the day, if our consumer loses trust in us, we lose as a business. And so you know we made that hard decision. And then, you know, my co-founder Tall really came to the plate, right? And he was like, guys, let's take a look at our roadmap and let's take a look at our brand and what's important to us. And in reality, like, if you look at Showfields, our mission is about, you know, connecting with customers in a different way and connecting them uh, and talking to them and creating something for them. It is all about them. And it's not, you know, our relationship with the brands is incredibly important, but I think the thing that gives us a competitive advantage is putting the consumer first, the same way that like Uber reimagined taking a taxi uh, through the consumer's eyes, or, you know, Warby Parker reimagined wearing glasses through the consumer's eyes. We built a department store saying, what does a consumer want to see? How do they want to talk to brands? How do they want to experience something? And, you know, it's funny, we had gone through the same 
exercise when it came to e-commerce as well. Uh, and we were just about to launch e-commerce. I'd love to say that like my team in three weeks got live video shopping, you know, up and going on our website because it launched, you know, three weeks ago. Wow. Uh, but in reality, what it was is it took everybody just focusing in on the one thing that we needed to reprioritize in our roadmap and getting it to the forefront. Uh, and the team moved so quickly. I'm, I've never been so impressed. Uh, and we literally have live video shopping curations now. And so they're the essence of what, you know, Showfields was. It was it was walking into something that feels so magical and so curated and so community oriented. But in reality is like, it's just telling these incredible stories about what these amazing people are making all over the world. And this is just a different format for it. So yeah, we, we have live video curations now. I'm listening to you talk. You know, it's, I, I know you mean this. <laughs> I really like, I really sincerely so passionate about this topic. So I was just enjoying you giving that soliloquy. <laughs> About the <laughs> you guys have to check it out. It's really, it's uh, well, first world, world, world I, I'm back. so proud. <laughs> yeah, well, you deserve to be proud because you're, you know, you and I have had a lot of conversations about how far, you know, ahead of the world you are at the moment, but it'll come back. So question, <laughs> question for you. So there's a debate out there about what will permanently change for, you know, mm -hmm. what we'll go back to. And a lot of discussion around DTC businesses are, you know, are crushing it and the numbers are incredible. And that customer acquisition costs have gone down dramatically, or they haven't gone down dramatically. A lot of debate on that. You've had a front row seat to some of the best um, DTC brands in the country. I just, I want to just hear from you to settle the debate once and for all. Are most winning? Are most not? Is it cheaper to acquire customers? Is it not? Just give us the state of the industry, and then throw out a few winners so we can go invest in them. You know. It is easy to get in front of customers right now. And it's easy to build that community as long as you have something to say. It is harder if you don't have an essential item to get someone to purchase right now. And that's okay. This is not where we're going to be forever. And so for businesses that don't have essential items, I would say stay in the conversation, be part of it, be present. This is a great time to use your stage for, you know, organizations that you care about or give back programs or trying to, you know, use your power for good right now and stay current and part of that conversation. If you have an essential item, life just got amazing. Um, I mean, I look at a company where I'm an investor and they also had one of the windows uh, in the first iteration of Showfields, an incredible founder named Helene. And she's the founder of a company called City Row. It's an at-home rower with digital content and her sales have gone through the roof. And you know, even for people who aren't necessarily buying the product, the thing that she has also created is free content for at-home workouts. So it's not only that she is, you know, giving, you know, content to people and getting them excited about what she does for when her studios in New York, because she has physical studios as well, reopen. She's also acquiring a whole new at-home customer that can buy the rower. Um, similarly, I'm obsessed with them. I, I have to admit, uh, Cabinet Health uh, is a like new direct-to-consumer company that is reimagining medicine in a way that they're making it more affordable for people and they're explaining why products work. So everything from acetaminophen to hand sanitizer, they couldn't have been more properly positioned, right? But instead of just sitting back and taking those sales, 
they went out and got a van and anyone who emailed them and said, Hey, like, I can't afford your product, but I need it right now. Like I'm worried that someone in my family has COVID or like, I don't have acetaminophen at home. And they're saying on the news that Tylenol is really important. They brought it to people for free. And that's living your marketing. That's living your values. So they're going to be very successful right now because they're an essential item, but they're doubling down on it. At the end of this, consumers are going to, you know, be very loyal to them because they went above and beyond. So let's talk about this. We didn't get into it, but just to set the stage for those listening, Katie also runs uh, a fund with a very interesting model. It's a seed fund on digitally native brands. And she has a group of LPs who are founders themselves. So they're, you know, putting in deal flow, they're getting access to deal flow, they're helping curate. So it's a really an exceptional group of investments and you sit on that, that top two. So putting on your investor hat though, I get asked this question a lot. If I, if I need to raise money or I was about to raise money, should I go ahead with, you know, my round or should I wait if I can wait? And what are some of the tactics, you know, that I should apply to get your attention or my attention? You can well, I, I take my too. advice from you, Matt. I asked Matt this question when I interviewed him on a panel that we did for Showfield, and he had the best answer, which was, by the way, change from one week to the other. The first week you were like, hey, like keep the conversation warm, but if you can wait, wait. And then the following week you were like, you know what, actually, <laughs> I'm looking again. And if you need to do it now, you know, of course, I think all of us are looking for deals during this time. But I'm also I think the thing I'm prioritizing is honesty during this moment. Great. I want the first slide to tell me what's going on with COVID and tell me how you're going to survive this. I it, like the thing I'm finding really frustrating right now is if I'm in a pitch meeting and they're burying that lead because all I'm doing is sitting there being like, okay, but how are you going to survive COVID? What's your plan? And I can't listen to even what the product is. I'm like, just tell me how you're going to do this. So I would tell, I mean, putting on my shark tank hat, which is interesting, like on shark tank, there's a point to this. You only have between 35 minutes and you know, an hour to assess whether somebody is somebody you should back whether they tell the truth, whatever. So in my mind, I look for these things I just call tells, signatures of integrity and honesty, right? Because then I know you can deal with me down the road or pivot, whatever. And in this case, in a time of COVID, a tell is when you try to bullshit your way into saying that you're fine. Like, Because the one time when nobody has to show a hockey stick, because you're not going to believe it anyway, the one time you had an opportunity to tell the truth, you told to you, you, you exaggerate and use puffery. So I always say, if you're going to send me an email, don't begin like, you know, I know others are suffering, but we're crying. Even if it's true, by the way, you know, <laughs> why? Well, reverse, just say that, you know, things are, but you're, you're, you're navigating. Isn't it amazing though? But the good part is it's very easy to me to go delete, delete, delete. You know, anybody who oh. starts, I'm raising 500. I got 300,000 soft circled. I'll try to squeeze you in delete. So my advice to your point though, my advice evolved in a little bit of a nuanced way, right? Because I said, if you can wait, which is still true, mm -hmm. because investors will still try to get the best terms out of you. And right. especially if you're a digitally native brand and you say you're doing well, why not have the benefit of these three months to demonstrate to an investor how you navigated this crisis and to show that your numbers are now an asset. So that's generally number one. I think what I have, why I have evolved a little bit, I do think that um, e-commerce behavior has changed for good. And oh. that prior to this crisis, only 12 and a half percent of all transactions were actually done online. I don't know who the hell these people were that weren't buying everything from Amazon like we are, but nonetheless, I think that has permanently shifted. And so I think it is an, if I'm looking at a deal in real time, 
especially in this e-commerce space. I get to watch things play out. So um, that's why I adjusted, but the advice still holds true. Generally, you should just try to have a conversation with your customers, your future investors, and get everybody's back down. Most investors like myself and you probably are spending 80% of their day fielding calls from people who in your portfolio. I personally feel almost irresponsible if I'm using my emotional energy or mental energy for a new deal when yeah. really be devoted towards helping out somebody I invested in. So whenever I get a little bit curious, I'm like, oh, I don't do that. Stay disciplined, stay focused. So, but that changes week to week. Every you one week goes by, I'm like, oh, maybe I should be taking more of a look and maybe this apocalypse will end, you know? So, but one of my favorite things to, to see happen. So the fund is run entirely on a Slack channel. And all of our investors, as you said, are founders who've all built companies. And then uh, we invest that in specific ecosystems. So we only invest in New York, London, and LA. And it is like the group of people who built companies in New York are investing in the early stage companies that are being built in New York, similar in LA, similar in London, because they're the people who understand the ecosystem that is their city and mm -hmm. can pick the best winners. And then everybody is in the same Slack channel. So we've done 60 investments in uh, 18 months, making us one of the most active pre-seed funds in the world. Uh, and all of the founders that we invested in are also in the Slack channel. So if you think about it now, we have over 100 LPs who all built incredible companies from Casper to SoundCloud to One Medical. Uh, and they're in the same room as 60 people who right now are you know hitting their first real challenge as founders, uh, and watching the conversations has been fascinating. Community. What are you, what are you so saying? Like what are the what are the biggest issues people struggle with? You know, at that early stage. I mean, even like, how do I submit for loans? Like that was like, that was like a firestorm of everybody being like, I don't even understand what I qualify for and everybody helping each other out. Uh, we put together a group call with a lawyer who actually was able to talk all of our companies kind of through it at once. Um, but I think it's just like, it's an uncertain time where information is hard to, to really put your finger on what's really happening even now. I mean, I, we have a physical location in Manhattan and, and I don't know what day we will reopen the doors. I ask you that actually, because I, you know, reading all the news and spent a lot of time and over the weekend talk, Cuomo talked a little bit about, you know, a phase reopening and mm -hmm. here's the benchmark. The benchmark would be 14 days of successive yeah. drops in hospitalizations. I've been tracking them every day through uh, actually Mark Lore at Walmart does an incredible email that he sends out where he's tracking everything. Wow. Um, yeah. And so, we are at, I think, 10 days of successive drops in New York. Yeah. But then in the same press conference, he said, but New York City is going to be different because New York City has to be coordinated with Westchester, Long Island. But upstate could start to open. So you leave that press conference, and this is not criticism. It's just with zero information. Like, right. So back to back to, to a question about your physical place. How much How many, How many? much square footage do you have? 14,000. Uh, 14,000. Do you have at least a litmus test to know when to reopen? Like, What would you need to see beyond even the government doing an all clear? Like, you know, when does it make sense for Showfields to reopen? I think that as long as we can, as long as the city's open and we can do it responsibly, 
for our customers and figure out a new dynamic for the store, right? I don't think it's going to be day one, open the doors and just say, okay, we're open again. I mean, what we're spending a lot of time on now is like, how do you innovate on the store experience, which is also really fascinating in a time of social distancing? Are you getting a one-on-one tour? Is there an appointment? Is there kind of this magical whole experience that you get to do Eloise style uh, backstage and then, you know, is there a way to, to turn our coffee shop into an interactive window where we could demo products without people even coming in and they could order through an app? I mean, here's one of the best parts about being a startup. We're completely flexible. Uh, and so we're in a unique position where we can try a lot of different things. And, and you know, actually, who knows if in six months, like everything's back to normal, we might have found that like doing demos in our window is really great and people really like it. Or that doing one-on-one tours is something that people really love because it's exclusive and there's only 200 a day. Uh, but I think it's now going to be about driving intentioned traffic versus you know, numbers, right? It's not going to be an aggressive amount of foot traffic. I mean, I think, you know, we're going to continue to push for crazy numbers through our e-com. But I think, you know, when it comes to store experience, maybe now it's about how do you bring joy back into this moment in time in New York City? And and how do you do it in a meaningful way? Like, as a customer myself, I don't want something kind of soulless. I actually think that the brands at Showfields are kind of uniquely positioned because they're all sustainable. They're all mission driven. Like they're all doing better things in the world. And so how would you create an experience where you as a customer get to come in and support all these young businesses and it's something different. Um, and it feels good when you leave versus consumerism. Right. So looking past the crisis. So at some point things will return to some version of normal. Um, do you think that the landscape got better for you competitively yeah. or did it get worse in a post-COVID world? Just like what is the future of retail from where you sit? I think retail is never going to change in terms of its ability to supercharge a customer and get them to fall in love with your brand. And so for us, I think we're in a position now where maybe a lot of the bigger brands who were like, we're going to own all of our own retail and we're never going to do shared models is now thinking, how do I de-risk my real estate portfolio? And so I do think it, it opened a door for us to show those brands how amazing our experience is and how much they're not going to lose any piece of their brand by being part of it. And so I think that's a really amazing opportunity. I also think that there are going to be a lot of spaces that are looking to our model and are going to try to replicate it in their own way. Uh, But I happen to think that authenticity is something that people can smell out a mile away. And so if it's not done in the right way in another scenario, it won't be successful. I don't know, uh, you know, if a mall or a department store can move quick enough at this point. I feel like this moment in time just poured an accelerator into the market in terms of the department store. I think, you know, it was going towards extinction as it currently was, and all this did was speed up that process. Hmm. But you don't think. Um, if you look at Showfields, right? Showfield is a convener and a curated experience, right? Mm-hmm. Where you are, but you are at the end of the day, you're the landlord, but yeah. you're also you're also the presenter and the convener and the curator, right? So it's a lot of skills in one. But your underlying business model is as the landlord, right? Mm-hmm. Do you do, is it possible that you know a whole crop of of mall owners suddenly become very nimble 
and morph into you? Or do they just need you more? They need to rent your space out more, big master lease, big you know blocks of real estate, and you're putting these exceptional brands you know on flexible leases. Like one of the offers we've begun to discuss internally is that you know we get approached, and that approach has already magnified based on everything that's happening on creating a show field experience. You know within those markets, right within a mall, you know within another ecosystem, and curating that with art and with brands uh, based on you know the things that we're seeing in the market. And I do think the only thing that it that has you know, become a little bit more interesting for us that maybe we wouldn't have thought about previously is what would it be like to, you know, take advantage of the real estate market right now and open, you know, a Showfields magic box, you know, in different locations that was a miniature version of Showfields. Uh, but I think that if I look at the emails that are coming in, you know, that's more of what mall owners are looking for. They're still looking to outsource it instead of taking on the project by itself. It's a, it's a pretty heavy project to take on independently. Right. So I think it's a little bit right brain, left brain thing, right? Like I think it's a little bit hard not to, not to cast a wide net, you know, and lead into a stereotype, but they'll lead into a stereotype. I just can't <laughs> imagine a bunch of, you know, landlords and real estate developers suddenly being able to curate like a slide from your top floor to your next one. And, you know, your yeah. whole experience is, a, you know, a little bit like an acid trip from the sixties. <laughs> I don't quite see that, which I think becomes your competitive advantage. Yeah. Right? It's, I it's, think it's, so. like, it's a thing that makes you special. So you just have to weather the storm. So the question is, how do you weather the storm? How long can you weather the storm for? And how are you approaching that? Like, what is the object of the exercise during the time of COVID for you and for any business owner to be able to just sort of survive and extend, extend the runway? I think we were so fortunate. I don't know what we wouldn't have done, what we would have done uh, in this scenario without being able to launch e-commerce. It just, suddenly now we are, back out for business, pitching brands and connecting them to customers again. And so I think it's putting us in a great situation where I don't feel like we're going to have to ramp up again when we open our properties, like when we reopen Miami and we begin selling Miami and curating that moment in time. We will now, instead of, you know, having to go out and curate, you know, from the endless amount of brands, potentially already have hundreds of customers that we're already working with and we know how our customer is already responding to them and maybe it will make us an even more intelligent curator. What's, so, your, what's your e-commerce model? I haven't seen it. Is it through Shopify and you basically, they have their existing you know, DTC platform and then they're selling through you as well and it's affiliate program? Is that basically? So think about the fact that we had to build a universal cart. So we built our point of sale from scratch and it has a universal cart, which means when you're walking through Showfields, you can pick up items from different vendors and then check out in one universal cart. Now imagine that online being able to go to one space where all of these brands are curated specifically based on different topics and buy tastemakers from all over the world. And, you know, they talk through these products for you and tell you these stories. And then you can actually add everything to one cart and check out. Our back end was already designed to then, you know, export those orders directly into different brands Shopify. So there was nothing we needed to touch there. But the customer experience is so much more magical. Instead of going, you know, to within site and, you know, buying something from there and then going to Brightland Olive Oil and buying something from there, you can now buy 
all these things that make you happy and, you know, are all better companies, sustainable, amazing, small businesses, you know, just they're, you know, I'm passionate about the brands we work with. Uh, you can now just check out and have all of them. Here's a question for you that I've been pontificating about and just wrote <laughs> bet about this that sometimes I feel like um, business owners you you know you you rush to reopen your business as soon as possible like there's a clarion call like we will rebuild but you don't take a beat to say if I were building my business today what business would I build rather than just replicating what I had before so the question is if you were to actually create the seamless buying experience that was effectively an online mall but that enabled DTC brands to own the customer data which I presume is what you're doing right unlike Amazon which what they're not doing you know, isn't that a better business than actually creating a brick and mortar, you know, high CapEx, very complicated, like, no, yes. is but that, has COVID opened your eyes to lean into the DTC, you know, the, uh, the, the, you know, the Amazon of DTC brands? I think that business is about relationships. And I actually think that the hundred brands that worked with us in the last year on our physical locations are the reason we have the permission to do what we are doing. I think going out and off the bat and saying, we're opening the mall of e-commerce and it's going to be amazing. I think everybody would have been like, call me when you have traction and you have these 10 brands. And I think the difference in the phone call now is, oh yeah, we know 10 people who worked with you and know that you're, you and your team are well-intentioned and great and have a great brand and we're in. It's just a different sale than it ever would have been starting from scratch. That's really smart, but I talk about that too. And just generally that like, sometimes you just have to build a ladder to where you're going, right? Like you can't separate the step that came before to the step that comes next. Like you could, without getting the permission, it's the same reason why a lot of DTC CPG companies, consumer product companies don't want to go into a Whole Foods or a Walmart because they don't want to entrust Walmart or Whole Foods to tell their story. Right. Like without you getting the permission to show that you can be entrusted. Okay. But now that you've been entrusted, like that's a big idea. I think spring kind of tried it, right? Spring was yeah. trying to come the next mall. There are a lot of other ones who tried it, but tell me something tantalizing that like your numbers are going up 8 million percent week over week. Like <laughs> give me, tell me something. How's it going? It's going so well. I'm so excited. It's also just because each of these is curated by a different tastemaker. So it's a different influencer who's hosting this live TV pro like show where they're in their own apartment. And then as they talk about products, they show up on the screen. You can click them, check out without leaving the video. Oh, I didn't realize that. So you're doing like your own incarnation of QVC plus DTC. Totally. Plus this is direct to consumer meets QVC in someone's house. Like, hmm. It's so fascinating. I also just like touring other people's homes. Like before we got on the call, you were walking around with your computer screen open. And I saw your whole house. It's, it's fascinating. Thank you. My grandma created it. See, it's on my desk. I love it. Uh, so, you know, for us, I, I see the conversion rates. Okay. So question, without <laughs> the apocalypse, yeah. would, would it have been as apparent or was it just as apparent? Did it change your behavior in any way? Did it accelerate it? Like, I'm just curious. Or is Oh, totally. I would have been right now, like fully focused on the store and fully focused on Miami. And I think our whole team would have been, right? Because that's our bread and butter. And so even if we were seeing an opportunity in this, I think we would have been a little bit more hesitant to throw our hat in the ring. Mm -hmm. And now we're all in. And I think that's, 
you know, the original point of like, what do you need in the lifeboat? You need a team. This team just fully like focused on this and learned completely new skills. I mean, I've got people on the team like coding who who had no background in computer science and they're amazing. We had this woman on our team, Katie O'Neill. She was running the events in the loft and now she is literally adding product on the back end of our website. And that's what it means to, you know, believe in the vision of something. And it doesn't matter like what you're doing to get that vision of the line. It's just getting your hands dirty and doing it. Although I will say this, because I'm sure everybody who's watching this right now is thinking the same thing about what I'm about to say. You can't underestimate the importance of a leader. Like I'd run through a wall for you. Like you can tell somebody like, all right, I was coding yesterday. I'll build out, you know, course tomorrow. So a lot of it is about your enthusiasm and energy. And you know what I love about this conversation? I remember you and I were texting at the beginning of this. Remember that conversation? And you were talking about like, I don't know what to do. Like our retail is just decimated and we were brainstorming. What if we pivot to like the show fields of essential items? You know, we'll sell sanitizers and you'll become the place that is completely antiseptic. And you know, it's, I mean, we were just being insane because we were grasping at straws, but I love, you know, winners like quickly pick themselves back up and they find the hole to run through, right? Like you found a hole in an opening and then you just pressed it, right? And yeah, your same infectious energy that you had on you know February 15th is back, right? And that's why you'll succeed. I mean, I'm just gonna blow smoke. because I, 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 I fully acknowledge and love the compliment. I can't take it because in reality, I run against the wall for my co-founders because they're so inspiring to me. It's the reason why I was literally running a fund and they were the first company to come in and pitch. And I I was a terrible VC and leaned so far and I became their co-founder. They are magical. My co-founder Tal is pretty much Walt Disney and getting to work with him is, is an absolute privilege. And so I think it's 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 like hanging out with you, right? Your values and your enthusiasm rub off on people around you. And I'm very lucky that in this world, I've been able to work with and pick people I admire to work with. And my team is that, they, mm-hmm. they inspire me. All right, so paint a picture. Um, mm-hmm. If you can, three years from now, what is Showfields and where is Showfields? I think we are the Shopify of physical. So I think we're everything from uh, being the tools that underwrite your physical location to being a platform that once you're invited in, you can go live in 20 different locations and 20 different malls and 20 different show fields and our e-commerce. But we are a platform. And that is so exciting because now I can I can really impact the bottom line for these small businesses. I can really change the outcome of their story. And it's not just changing it in one location or two locations. It's fundamentally impacting that. And I think that's exciting. I love that. The Shopify of the physical world. I have no doubt you're going to do it. So (laughs) to leave everyone with this, retail is not dead. Retail will never be dead. Retail will constantly evolve. And now... I think retail will just evolve into what it was already doing. This sort of poured, you know, acceleration, accelerant on it. People will always want experiences. In fact, coming out of this, people want experiences even more. Material possessions matter even less than they did the day before, which is why I think as a society, we usually leave fear-based concerns behind after some type of traumatic event. And we embrace though the opportunities and the learnings, right? So after 9-11, the fear-based was we'll never step foot in a high rise again. And of course we did, but we learned about security and how to protect ourselves. And after this, we will 
we will affiliate again. We will gather, we will convene because we're social creatures for a reason, uh, but we'll take the learnings. And, and one of the learnings is life is short and precious and you want great experiences and material shit doesn't matter. And so, and by the way, working from home is nice sometimes and I don't <laughs> want to complain if I don't have to like, but I, I think the retail, retail definitely has a place. It just needs to be, the bar got a lot higher to what people will want, right? So I think you're in the perfect spot and I'm proud of you that you've been able to stay afloat, stay positive. Is there a code? Does anybody, is there any way to get people get discounted anything on your, on your store? Do you have giveaways or just go to showfields.com? Just go to shop.showfields.com. During the live show, there's always a code and they say it and it's a discount. So you okay. have to join live in order to get the discount, but it's also really fun. So I hope you'll do it. Is it all day long, the live? Like, is I can sit two in the morning, I can watch. Oh, right, right now, we have two shows a week, but clearly we're up in that ante every week. Uh, and right now, it's every Tuesday and Thursday at noon. Um, and we have different art curators too. So we have different, uh, you know, auctions for charity right now that feature young artists from all around the globe. And they're mm -hmm. really fascinating. So join us tomorrow, actually at noon tomorrow, Eastern, Eastern Standard Time at shop.showfields.com. Okay, great. All right, Katie. It's so good to see you. I'm so excited for you. And thanks for coming on. Thank you, Matt, as always. All right. You're the best. Bye. <laughs> Bye, Bye everybody. Guys. Till next time.